0: Hey, this is Alicia Chapman, Olympic gold medalist with the Canadian women's national team, and we've got Joe Tilly Sports
1: coming up.
2: Our special guest this week, Jim Thompson, leader, NHL winger, enforcer, recovered, all round great guy, Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Welcome to the program. Our guest today is an Edmonton native, which means I like him already. He played, played tier two junior in Markham. He then joined the Toronto Marlboros. He was drafted by the Washington Capitals. Played 10 years in the NHL with the Capitals, Whalers, Devils, Senators, Kings, and Mighty Ducks. He started the Dreams Do Come True program. He's involved in numerous charities. He's trained elite NHL prospects for over 25 years ladies and gentlemen welcome to the program Jim Thompson Jim good to have you here my friend
0: oh it's I'm happy to be here Joe I've been looking forward to this thanks for having me
2: yes you know and I, I, me as well and it's funny we just before we got in there we were having a little chat the fact that you grew up in uh, West Edmonton or well, west of Edmonton and I grew up in West Edmonton yeah. so it was pretty cool almost the same time I was a few years ahead of you there but we'll uh, um, uh, Grant Fuhrer's stomping grounds, uh, uh, Spruce Grove and, and uh, that area.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because my father took me, and I was just getting into hockey, and he took me to Spruce Grove, and Grant Fuhrer and Messier played for a team called the Spruce Grove Mets. And remember what that? I remember is is, is um, when we went to the game, it was, um, you know, the uh, baseball Fencing. It wasn't glass, so it was a baseball fencing behind the net. And Grant Fuhr had that famous mask on with the little hole in the mouth that he wore in the NHL for a while. But you know, he was the this exceptional goaltender that I was just in awe watching them.
2: That was a great team, Spruce Grove Mets. And Messier, yeah. both those guys playing tier two hockey, and look where they went to it in uh, you know, in their careers.
0: And I guess Messier kind of was made the
2: bloomers in that way, right? Right, yeah, yeah,
0: hundred percent, hundred percent, and yeah. you know, obviously, uh, you know, when you read the story about Grant being drafted first round when Barry Fraser, I believe it was, wanted him and Sather said not a chance, and this whole fight back and forth, and but yeah, how they found all those young talented kids to make that team is uh, well, you and I growing up there, you know, we were champions, yeah. and that's why they had to sign with the Eskimos, you know, City of Champions.
2: I remember those signs city of champions loved it. Uh, lately not so much, but that's okay. It, it, no. It'll, it'll, come back no. again. Yeah.
0: There's some potential
2: yeah. there. Um, now, so how does a kid that grows up in Edmonton and with the, with the Markham waxers, because that was your, uh, your first junior stop.
0: So I was, uh, I got into, you know, I grew up in a trailer park called Westview village. So I'll take you through it quickly. And I had a job when I was 12 years old. Um, timekeeping at the hockey arena so I got into a group that we like to smoke marijuana and drink baby duck champagne at 12 years old and obviously I was the youngest I was the youngest of 10 kids my mom never drove a car she was from England my dad worked in the oil camps and uh ironically he was you know one of the better players in Markham when he was a young man and was supposed to play for Boston in the original six, but at 17, he ended up going to World War II, was a sergeant over there, and uh, fought for four years in Europe. But what happened was, so when I turned 14, I had gotten out of the party life and took hockey really serious, and my father took me down to meet my uncle and aunt, my uh, Jim, Re- Jim and Roma Regan, and I took my skates with me and skated with the Markham Midget A team, and they came out to Edmonton and scouted me after that and invited me down to camp. And I ended up moving uh, to Markham with my aunt and uncle when I was uh, turning 16. And as you said, I, you know, got a chance to play for the Marlboros um, through my uncle's connections of Jim Gregory and Frank Manello and these guys and ended up playing a year for the Markham Waxers.
2: Jim Gregory, great guy. Well, after the Waxers, then you went to, to the Marlies. Um, uh and you did very well there your last year with the Marlies, uh, 28 goals, 51 points in 63 games, 129 penalty minutes, uh, obviously impressed the Washington Capitals because they uh, scooped you up in the draft.
0: Yeah. And, and what's, what's funny is my, you know, your dream as a young boy was always to make the NHL if you loved hockey. But my reality dream was to play junior. And I got to junior and then i remember one day our coach for the Marlboros, Tom Webster, or oh, sorry, um, Tom Martin, uh, was sitting in the stands and he called me over and he said, uh, I just wanted you to know that some NHL teams are starting to ask questions about you. I was blown away. I never thought that was on my radar. You know, we had Peter Zezel, Steve Thomas, Greg Johnson, a whole bunch of high-profile players, and I'm thinking, you know, this was this was the end of it for me after this. But anyway, yeah, I got some looks, and that call came at 9.15 on a Saturday night when I was in that, that – uh, my mom's trailer and uh, the Washington Capitals. Jack, the late Jack Button, selected me. Well, there was you know, hockey was a little bit of a game changer for
2: you. I remember, like when I was a kid, I ran into the same kind of troubles you talked about. You know, the baby duck. My 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 drinking choice was cherry jack or apple jack or whatever I could get my hands on. And and, yeah. and uh, um, you know, I was able to eventually get out of my funk by getting into boxing and having success, in that. You know, in, in in the ring, and then and then changing my life that way. Hockey was certainly a, a, definitely a game changer for you, and your uncle played a great role in that. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: So, i mean, ounce to me. Um, you know, he had 25 years of sobriety at that point, and had actually helped a few former NHL players get sober. And um, so he made it very clear. You know, you can you can stay here, but. It's my rules, and the minute you break those rules, you'll be going back to Edmonton. And obviously, I didn't flirt with that because I was in a position. And what you got to remember, Joe, is you and I growing up in Edmonton, we didn't have a NHL team. And Saturday night, you're watching the the bunker with Ballard and King Clancy and <laughs> and the Trump Maple Leafs. You know Earl Thompson and Daryl Sittler and all these, you know Rocky. I, some of the names I remember: Rocky Saginuck Saginuck. and all this stuff. Edmonton, boy. yeah, like yeah. Yeah, it's easy to say, you know, the, you know the, all the players that play back there. But anyway, um, so I, I was in awe when I had the chance to come to Toronto, fly into this massive city. And I'll never forget, I went to a, a Marlboro game and saw the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds play Toronto Marbles in Maple Leaf Garden. And I was just like, wow. Could it ever be? And then, you know, my uncle made the dream come true and he kept me in line and I wasn't a bad kid. I just, you know, had addiction problems and, um, you know, he helped me straighten all that out. And, you know, the the three years I spent with him, he was a major, major uh, reason that I made the NHL and became who I am today.
2: Well, you know, a lot of people don't don't get that because you know, there a lot of us we're good kids. We're just we're just misdirected, and we have an addiction. And really, it it's not we're not making a choice. The the drugs and alcohol make choices for us, and, that, and that's what uh, that's what the you know, that's what the disease is all about. So, um, so you make it to the NHL, and tell tell me what was that like when you when you got to, Called it, to come to the show.
0: <laughs> so. We, I had played in, uh, I was in Binghamton for Washington's farm team. Hartford and Washington shared the Binghamton Whalers. So I was. we're playing Hershey Bears Philadelphia's farm team. And over the weekend, Larry Plo, my coach, had me covering a 50-goal scorer, Ross Fitzpatrick. So, you know, if you look at my stats in the minors, I scored a little bit, but I fought a lot. And that was because Brian Murray from the Washington Capitals, the late Brian Murray, said, if you're going to play in Washington, you're going to have to fight more. So my second year, I had 41 fights in 57 games, led the league in penalty minutes. So anyways, when we played Hershey, you know, Craig Baruby, Mike Struthers, Daryl Stanley, and all these tough guys, Jeff Chickren. So um, normally, you know, I'd be in a few tussles over the weekend, and my direction this weekend was to cover Ross Fitzpatrick, no fighting, and just don't let him score. So I thought this would be a lot of fun. You know, Baruvi had come out to fight me and, and you know, I wasn't allowed to do that. But anyway, I did a really good job on Ross and Sunday night we get we're walking out of the rink to get on the bus. And whenever you whenever the Washington brass was there, Joe, you knew they were there and there's somebody was going to get called up the way they're all lined up over by the bus. If you you know weren't getting called up they would just wave at you you know hey jimmy great game you know yeah. keep working hard and the kid that got called over was pulling his bag off the bus so anyways i'm walking out and not even thinking anything and next thing you know brian murphy yells out thompson right and he calls me over and i'm shaking all the brass's hands david poyle warren Straylo, and so, how you doing? Great job this weekend, Dan. We're going to call you up to play against Pittsburgh tomorrow night in in the in Washington. So, Monday night, we played Pittsburgh. So, I drove back to the hotel with Warren Stralo the late Warren Straylo, our goalie coach. Went to practice, three-game skate, skating around. Uh, assistant coach Terry Murray comes up to me, and he's like, how you feeling? And I said, good. He goes, you're nervous? And I said, no, I feel pretty good. Like, I did. And I thought I was going there to yeah. fight Jay Coffey or whoever their tough guys yeah. were. After the practice, I get called into the office, and David Poyle goes, we have an assignment for you to do tonight. Uh, you know, you did such a great job with Fitzpatrick on the weekend. He said, uh, Brian's going to have you cover Mary Lemieux tonight. Well, that's when I got hit over the head. Yeah, true story. My first, When you say my first game, I got hit over the head with the hammer. I'm like, what? So I was, I was numb. I was numb because I'm thinking, and this is when Mary was, you know, Challenging Gretzky yeah. for the best in the world. So anyway, I I went back to the hotel. I, obviously, I didn't sleep. Joe. I was a basket of nerves. Got to the rink, started you know covering Miro and there was, I mean, that's a whole other story. I won't you know tell you today. But it went went really well. Um, he did not get a point. Sadly, we were we were winning the game, and I held him scoreless. And um, they ended up coming back and winning the game late. But just to end that story. Uh, you know back to my first game so my wife and i are down at the uh, ottawa alumni box and we we're playing pittsburgh and uh Mario was two boxes down so i said i gotta go down there and tell him about this story because he'd never remember so yeah, yeah. i go to his box he's there with a couple guys i go in hey mary you know former player jim thompson you know he's looking i said do you remember a game back in 1986 and Brian Murray, and he goes, you know, he goes, I remember that game. He goes, I used to get really pissed off with Brian because he would call these guys up. And part of the reason we know Mario retired was part of it was the cancer, but part of it was also guys like me taking a chunk out of him, right, because it was different hockey back then. So I said, we're talking, and I go, well, what you probably didn't know, Mario, is that was my very first NHL game. And what made me feel really good, Joe, was he hit his buddy, said a couple funny words. And he goes, Holy (laughs) jump. And he goes, you imagine your first game being called up to do that assignment. And I thought, right on, man. So that was my very first NHL game. Yeah, he got it. And that was, so that
2: was just before the Canada cup when Mario really had his coming out. And then a couple years later they were winning cups and wow, that was a pretty, pretty cool time. So, uh, our friend, Paul Patsko, uh, he, uh, he pulled some video from you playing with the L.A. Kings uh, against the Rangers in 1991. This is in the parking lot at Caesars Palace. Vic, if you can roll that for us. Uh, you're playing alongside Luke Robotai. Tell us about that experience. I think it was 85 degrees at game time in Vegas, uh, long before they had a team, of course. Uh, tell us about that experience.
0: So uh, Bruce McNall, our owner at the time, was in the Hollywood scene, you know, and he had this idea of having this outdoor game. So we were jacked up. We were like, wow. So we get to Vegas, check into Caesars Palace, and, you know, get a night out. And then we, I'll never forget it. We we met with the security, the NHL security the night before, or the next morning, sorry. And then we started to hear rumblings that there's a problem with the ice. And what happened was they had a solar blanket over the ice. And that solar blanket was probably 120, they figure, 150 degrees. And what happened was they were taking the blanket down, Joe, and the blanket collapsed on the ice and it immediately started melting the ice. So we wow. heard that the game might be canceled, right? And then we were just like, are you kidding me? So we got to the rink around 4 o'clock. They had worked on it all afternoon um, and got it up the best they could to play. Play the game so when we went out there the referees told us you got to take it easy because there was some big you know holes whatever whatever so you know there wasn't a lot of hitting what's funny was i got in a fight this game i'll never forget it with rick Bennett. and i remember there's like four or five fights where it's supposed to be taking it easy right but it was unbelievable playing at caesar's palace under the lights and the one of the other things was there's this massive beetles flying around so you'd be getting hit in the face as you're playing the game, right, with these beetles that were in the lights, right? So it was quite the experience. But man, you know, this was, I believe, the first outdoor game, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong, and in, in, you know, what started this whole, the Heritage game with Montreal and Edmonton and what have you. But this was unbelievable. Great memory. I'm watching it here with you.
2: Yeah, that was uh, quite something. Tell us about the, those those Kings teams and and uh, what was it like to play with, you know kind of line with Luke Robitaille here and, you know, playing alongside Gretzky and, you know, coffee and
0: et cetera. Well, I, I got you'll, you'll respect the story because I was a free agent coming out of New Jersey and I had three teams, uh, Boston, Winnipeg, and Detroit that wanted to sign me. So my agent, Steve Bartlett, said Detroit is the best play because they weren't real physical at that time. So we had agreed on a deal with Detroit Red Wings, and I went to my brother's shop, uh, which was on the north side of the city in Edmonton, or sorry, the south side. And I'm at his shop, and next thing you know, my phone rings, and it's my agent. And he says, uh, "LA just matched Detroit's deal, but it's a bad, bad uh, situation because they had McSorley, Miller, you know, a bunch of guys in my my yeah. style of play." And I go, Steve. I want to sign with LA and he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you're going to get sent to the minors. He said, sorry, but that's the reality of it. I said, I want to play with my idol Wayne Gretzky. Cause I Gretzky was my idol, right? Growing up in Edmonton, he came there yeah. and you know, I can, you, you would, you would get that. So, um, he was a totally against it. I said, I'll figure it out. And I signed with LA and sure enough, got sent down to new Haven the first year, got called up and then I made it happen. But listen, to to be on the same ice as wayne gretzky curry huddy kushaniski mcsorley um, all these guys that you know i was so blessed to watch growing up and you know it's not that they're that much older but i remember i was a young kid when they were young kids playing so that was my play and um i just i was in awe every day you know the the one year i stayed up for the whole year you know just being, you know, just like I always say this, Gretzky was a better father and a better teammate than he was a hockey player. He's a better, he, just a great human. And what he had shown me and, you know, a lot of what I do today, Joe, in, in helping mentoring kids, a lot comes from Wayne because his number one asset is treating everybody equally. And he'd walk into the dressing room and, you know, the, call us the black aces or whatever, the fourth and fifth line. He would come over to us and, hey, boys, how's it going? And take us for dinner. And he just made us feel... He'd bring us to the top, right, of the uh, food chain, and that's what made him special. So the playing in L.A. and, you know, all the movie stars, um, we would, we would, you know, like, everybody would, like, you know, I got pictures in my office, you know, from Tom Cruise to pe- President Reagan, John Candy, all these people come into our room after the game. And uh, it was so cool to, you know, my first picture was Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell when they're shooting huh. movie uh, Tango and Cash right so you know just awesome awesome to memories to remember that
2: yeah yeah that is pretty cool i mean sandy holly has some great memories from back there as well playing golf with Bob penalty box. You know, he was working it. he was working at peddling yeah. he must have penalty seen box. a lot of a lot of sandy yeah. back then
0: yeah yeah well small world my my uncle jim regan was a was a horse owner right so oh. he no, Sandy used to ride his horses. So my uncle always says, if you see Sandy, so I get in the penalty box and he's like, come on. So we're in the penalty box having this whole conversation about horse racing. So yeah, really cool.
2: Yeah, Sandy's awesome. I had him on the show a couple of times, great guy. Okay, so you 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 get you know what your job is there. You're getting into the occasional scrap, uh, which was your job. Uh, and uh, we got some uh, more footage from, from your days with the Kings. It's Darcy Lowen has his way with uh, Paul Coffey. And then, uh, you know, you're going to let Lowen uh, know that that type of uh, activity is not going to go unnoticed. So um, there we go right here, the Lowen and Coffee getting into it. And that uh, uh, Jim Thompson is going to uh, ride to the rescue here because that's part of your job. Tell us about, you know, playing that role and, and what that was like. And
0: well, as we what's, watch ironic this. About, what's, what's ironic about this game is i just got traded from ottawa to out back to la so this was my second game back with la playing my former team and darcy was actually oh. an alberta player, which was a good friend of mine but here we're saying you know hey you know what had to do it Darcy, and i'll see you in the you know after the game for a beer and what have you right but they you can see i got really booed getting off the rink here so, what's the job yeah. like? Well, I I did not like that job. I was a goal scorer growing up, and I fell into it. And, you know, it, and I say this, you know, would I change anything in my career? Yes, I wish I would have played more than just looked up fighting when I was in the NHL, because, you know, n- not to toot my own horn, but when you look at how I played in the minors, I had 20 goal seasons, and, you know, when I was able to show what I can do. But in the NHL, I protective instincts, if you will, and you know, you're, you're protecting Gretzky and other players on the teams that I played. So that was the role I fell into. So it, it wasn't easy. You know, I was I'm you know six one and two hundred and fifteen pounds, and I got to fight six six two Stu Grimms, and and six six Dave Brown and these guys that you're just trying to survive. It was it was tough going, which created a lot of chaos with my addictions and numbing the fear and the anxiety. Right.
2: Yeah, let's let's talk about that that a little bit. I, I, I want to add. I want to jump ahead here to something, uh, Vic. So, Don Cherry, okay? So, like you know, Don Cherry has said over the years a number of things that 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 struck a chord with me that I didn't like. But he's you know said a lot of things that were great, fine, no problem. But uh, he went off on yourself and a couple other four players a few years back, you know. when, when you spoke out about the damage and the toll uh, that 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 NHL enforcers suffered. He had a problem uh, with that. Vic, first of all, let's just let's play the clip clip from uh, from Cherry. Bless them all. Our, our sadness this summer was unparalleled. For the you know, obviously what happened overseas in the Russian plane crash and Brad McClure, yeah. who we loved. But your brethren, uh, Don, uh, obviously it started with Derek Bugard, Rick Rippon, and Wade Belak. The feeling was that uh, in all three cases there's a connection that they were dealing with demons caused by their... Is that
1: ridiculous? I'll tell you one thing there. You people that are against fighting, you should be ashamed of yourself. You took advantage of that to make your point on fighting. You should be ashamed of yourself doing something like that. I did a little research. Since 19, uh, uh, 1999, there's been eight guys commit suicide, and there were not one of them was a fighter. And when I played, I remember four guys uh, committing suicide. Not one of them was a fighter. But you jumped on this with both feet. You should have been ashamed of yourself. But the ones that I am really disgusted with, and I hate to say this when the kids are listening with George LaRock said about a bunch of pukes that fought before Stu Grimson, Chris Nyland and Jim What's Thompson, the reason, oh, the reason that they're drinking uh, drugs and alcoholics, because they fight. You turncoats, you hypocrites. There's one thing I'm not, is a hypocrite. You guys, you were fighters, and now you don't want guys that make the same living you did.
2: Right. So, I'm not a hypocrite, but, you know, I'm certainly uninformed, right? And, and so, like... Uh, it really, it really rankled me, you know, the, the lack of compassion and understanding because, you know, there was a correlation and it's been proven between, you know, uh, concussions and, and addiction. And uh, what were your thoughts after that? Uh, you know, I, I mean, somebody calls me a puke, obviously, and somebody said, you know,
0: I was downtown Toronto with the Primo brothers, Keith and Wayne Primo doing a charity for sick kids. And we're sitting there, and that game had come on, and I thought I heard my name, Joe. And this guy down four tables down, he goes, "Hey Jim," he was sitting there with his kids. He goes, "Cherry just called you a puke on Hockey Night in Canada." And then at that that time, I had a BlackBerry, and then it started beeping, bing, 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 bing. Yeah. So yeah. it was actually Stu and Chris had nothing to do with it. It was me who said it, and what I was talking about was who I was my story and if you do look back to John Cordick and the trail of disaster goes on
2: there There'd is no
0: it's all right. fighters so I don't know where you know I always had that argument with Don like Rick Ripon uh, you know Bobby Probert like it doesn't matter how the enforcer died but for me the drugs and the alcohol had a major effect on me wanting to commit suicide three times. Had a major effect on, you know, my anxiety, staying up drinking two bottles of wine before we're playing Detroit Red Wings and Bob Probert and Joey Kosher. It's how I dealt with my anxiety and fear, right? And then you bring pills into it and whatever else. So I was just speaking from my life. And, you know, George LaRock had brought... Stu and Chris into it innocently because he didn't do his due diligence. They had never said a word. So this became this, you know, crazy time. And then we, Joe, uh, sorry, Stu was a, a lawyer out in Nashville. And Stu and I played together in Anaheim. So we had asked Don for an apology. And he refused it. And then what happened was his son, um, um, Tim. I forget his Timmy Tim. had told yeah. had told a connection that his dad was going to be fired if he didn't apologize. And then the next week on hockey night in Canada, you can watch that he apologizes and you know said that uh, he threw us under the bus and whatever. So we him and Don and I had never talked since that. And I'm going to share a little great story with you on the positive side of Don Cherry. So my wife and I own the Aurora Tigers. Um, we brought the thirteen survivors from the Humboldt crash. A uh, friend of mine from Edmond, from our, from Saint Albert, actually, Chris Joseph lost his son Jackson on the bus that night. So I reached out to Chris to say, "Listen, would you guys like to come down? We're going to put you up for five days." And a whole bunch of people helped helped out. Joe. We took him to a Leaf game. We took him to all these different places, and it was an amazing, amazing time. So. I reached out to Luba, Don's wife, by email, and remember, Don and I—I I wrote Don a letter to apologize. I tried to say, "Listen, you know, like, you know, we're both in the community. We're both trying to help people. It's silly to have this impasse, right?" Never responded. Mm-hmm. You know, I had hockey parents who would see him at games, and you know, never responded to my letter. So anyway. She said no, Don's completely booked, Uh, he would have loved to have seen the boys because the only time Don and Ron saw them was when they were all in comas in the hospitals in Saskatchewan after the crash. So I woke up the next morning and at 12, 11 a.m. in the morning Luba had emailed me back to say Don will be at the Hall of Fame 2 o'clock on Thursday, don't let the boys know it will be a surprise. So he changed his whole schedule. But the ironic part about the story is you saw the suit that he wore that night when he slammed me on hockey night in Canada. I remember him and I haven't talked in years. When he walked into the hall of fame, I almost fell down. He had the exact same suit on when he walked in to see the humble crowd. And, and he knew I would have known. And I'm like, home, oh, look at that. eh?" He was making a point to me. I know it. But we had a really nice time. Him and I had a really nice conversation. And, uh, Obviously, the boys were in awe to to see Don Cherry. So, it was a wonderful afternoon. So, that's the last time I talked to him.
2: Right. He, he did – you know, Don has done that. He's, he's helped a lot of people. He's been helpful. He just was certainly out of line at, at, at that particular time. Now, the game's yeah. uh, changed, changed a considerable amount. And so, uh, uh, back – there was a time when the NHL started cracking down and clutching and grabbing – and you were with the Ottawa Senators, Vic. You, can you cue that one up? Uh, uh, it's the games, the, the NHL is starting to crack
0: down on the changes in the game, and and this. I, is I just don't feel the I, game is the same. You know, you can't go out, give a good hit, and you're getting an elbow pen, penalty and whatnot. And just the games we played thus far, it's it seems that there's been a lot of unnecessary penalties that shouldn't been called. And uh, I mean, it's it's not the referees' fault. It's the new rules, and you know, the way I played the game, I, I just it, it just doesn't seem like hockey's the same anymore.
2: Yeah, hockey's changed, and uh, what do you? What's your opinion on it now? And that you've had some time to. Well,
0: you know. I remember that, and it, it was you know when we when I started, you know, you would remember this. Both fourth lines on each team had tough guys, and we would out go out, and nobody would skate away from you because you'd hook them up the ice, and there's a clutching and grab, and this went on and on and for everybody. It was just part of the game, and and you know it's comical when you look back at a game. To see what people got away with. Like I look at those battles of Alberta, right? With McCowan and and uh, uh you know just the, the all the you know Otto and all these guys in Calgary, and then you got Dave Hunter and, Simeco Simeco. and yeah, yeah, Sicsorley, and, and the club yeah, yeah. Was yeah, like the like it was just chaos. So what my point there was, you know, and I remember that I was I was skating up the rice in the ice and I just put one stick on a guy and I got a penalty. I'm like, what? Right. But you had to adjust to the rules. So what do I think of it today? I think hockey is the most beautiful game that it could ever be with the speed and the skill. I just love it. But, yeah, that I uh, I would actually like Vic to send me that video I'd like to show my kids that.
2: Awesome. We will. For, for sure, we will. Uh, done. OK, there's Vic. All right, so that's the the voice in this guy. Um, so fight you know, fighting's the game's obviously changed now. Fighting's down, the game is is it safer, is it better? What are your what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, you know it's funny, Joe. I you know, I'm not again, when I came out and said take fighting out of the game because you know, both of my parents were alcoholics and they smoked their whole lives and they both died before they were seventy. So science tells us if you're gonna drink and smoke your whole life chances are you're going to get sick. I've lost two brothers over the last two years with the same disease. They smoked and drank their whole lives. So when I we look at the CTE and all the brain, you know, stuff going on now with concussions and, you know, getting our brains checked after we pass away, you know, you take a Tony Twist, a Joey Kosher, a Dave Brown, a Marty McSorley, and you land that on a young kid's head, it's going to cause damage. I had eight concussions and and what we found out is a hard hit could be a concussion because you know with all the new studies the brain floating in the skull every time you you, you get hit there could be damage done so you know today I sit here talking to you I got you know ringing in my ear 24/7 you know obviously as we get older our memories go and all that so but my memory struggling and that sort of thing so I got some effects from my career but what do, what do I think I just I think you know with taking the knuckles off the brain, off the, the skull has been a major, major thing. Do I want to think that I had a little bit to do with it? I think I do just because I was one of the few that came out being a former, you know, somewhat fighter saying this is killing the young enforcers because look at the devastations it's doing. It's doing long-term.
2: Yeah. One of the guys who came out or was Don Cherry would refer to a uh, puke. Uh, so, uh, somebody has somebody had to step up and and, and, and you know I, I really appreciate the fact that you were able to stand up to people like that and and and, and but you did certainly have had a an impact on the game and the change that's uh, that's resulted and listen well, i'm a former boxer you i used to love though. watching
0: me... the fighting stuff too right but
2: yeah. i,
0: I enjoyed that you know, the, the safety too do you know how i was attacked you have no idea the backlash i took behind the scenes Right. Like I had people Mm -hmm. reaching out, you know, the social media, like, how could you? And I took a lot of, lot of hate, hate, we'll call it hate uh, mail. And unbeknownst to me, I was on, you know, I did uh, Michael Landsberg's off the record a lot. And Mm -hmm. uh, so he said, you're going to go on with Kelly Chase, just the two of us. And I had no idea. I'm thinking, okay, I'm on with another hockey guy. Well, when I got to the green room, Michael's like, you know, it might get a little heated up. He's really pissed off with you, and I'm like, okay, I was set up, right? So we went on that show, and Kelly came after me in a big, big way. And I just calmly said to him, I said, "Listen, it's my opinion," and I used the philosophy I just gave you about, you know, if you're if you're gonna, you know, do things, smoke, in, again. yeah, like I use that right. philosophy. You know, we used to smoke in airports, we used to smoke on airplanes and restaurants, and you know what? Smoking will get give you cancer and kill you. So, you know, I kind of use that analogy to settle them down. But yeah, it was a pretty pretty heated uh, show. So yeah, I took a lot of backlash. Sorry to interrupt you on that.
2: No, no, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah, I'd like to hear about that. So, um, uh, so let's talk about your recovery and uh, what what what. First of all, what got you to the point where you realized you had to do something about about your uh, your problem.
0: Well, like you, how many nights I went to bed, you know, smoking crack cocaine and, and snorting it or whatever I was doing and, and you know, I got really, really heavy into Oxycontin, which should have killed me. You know, there was nights I laid in bed, Joe, where my heart was beating so fast I was, I was afraid to move my leg because I thought I was going to have a heart attack, right? Just some crazy, crazy stuff. So, you know, I would use and then, okay, that's it. I got to quit. You know, this went on, you know, I'm 55 now. You know you can do the math i got clean up 42 so you know from a young boy you know and, and i wasn't a user all my life but when i partied i partied obviously post career i went into that black hole and hit rock bottom and lost my family went bankrupt lost everything lost you know lost who i was and i remember you know looking in the mirror when i was at my worst going you, you, were, you lived your dream out and you're a freaking monster now. like just I was I couldn't even look at myself. It was so awful. So it was uh, my son's birthday, November 17th. Ironically, I was in Edmonton and had been on a two-day bender um, back home with some friends and I got on the plane and uh, just sat on the plane and quietly surrendered. and it was, I got back home. Emptied my liquor cabinet, threw anything I had, you know, substance-wise out, and went through the detox on my own, and just, you know, quietly went about my business. And one day turned into two days. It turned into a month, and that's how I did it. I just, uh, I just surrendered. And you know, I, I think of Theo Fleury's book. I loved it. I tell him this all the time. When he says in there, you know, I surrendered. I was just, I surrendered to the disease, and that is the best way to say it. And that's what I did. And Because for how many nights, Joe, you and I sat there in in a depression after all the goodies were gone and it's four in the morning and you're going, you know what, I am just a low life right now. And to get rid of all those demons and, and wake up 13 years sober now has just been a blessing
2: you know it, it's yeah there, there was so many times when i said that's it i'm done that's it i'm done and i just I just couldn't stop but you know you talk about surrendering and in in recovery that you would hear it all the time surrender to win you know that's how yeah. that's how we're able to to uh you know to to beat this disease by surrendering to it and then and then you know we can recover from there but you know i know you've you've worked with a lot of uh a lot of you know folks and in you in, know in, through in, in your in your recovery and you've helped other a lot of other a lot a lot of athletes especially a lot of young folks like teens and stuff like that who who you work with uh, you you've you've got your NHL prospects camp which you've been running uh, for some 25 years now let's talk about uh, some of the players that you helped graduate to the pros and and what are some of the lessons that you're
0: teaching at your prospects camp in terms of life lessons and well, the number one thing is, you know, I, I say it in these videos that I'm probably more valuable off the ice than I am on the ice. And we, it's a great on ice product, a lot of the stuff that I learned playing in the NHL. But just these young guys come in year after year, and you can see where the cracks in the armor are, you know. And I mentor them, I, I tell them that they got one shot at this thing. And there's going to, if I take a Jim Thompson, there's five of us lined up. They're going to start breaking down school marks. They're going to appearance. They're going to start looking at, you know, are you wearing earrings? Are you, are you like, who are you? And that's how they decipher who they're going to pick in the draft and, and that sort of thing. So I spend a lot of time on behaviors. I spend a lot of time on culture, you know, uh, you know, my tattoos are my hockey career and respect and, and, you know, doing the right things. And um, that's, that's my biggest message. So, You know, if there's a hockey fan out there, I encourage you to watch a video or two and you'll see what that's all about. It's more about the, the helping these young guys off the ice than it is on the ice to get to their dream. So, you know, I've, I've worked with many, many players, you know, um, I don't, you know, talking names. I don't like to use that because there's been so many of them, but, you know, I used to work with uh, a lot of the Leafs, you know, back in the lockout years and, um, you know, I don't like to bring up the names, Joe, just because I feel if I forget one or two, then somebody's watching this. But there's, you know, you can go back in these videos and see the people that I've they, that I've helped. So I've, and I'll say this to you: it's as much helping a kid get to the NHL, the American Hockey League, or the KHL. My thing is to get them to university for an education. To me, that's all I tell them all. That is your NHL, and after that, it's all gravy. But I love telling the stories about taking a house league player and getting him into a hockey or a double A player and finally living out his dream of playing triple A. Those are the exciting stories for me.
2: Right. Uh yeah. Yeah, Justin Bieber was telling me this morning, don't be
0: a name dropper. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you, you know, and, and I don't I don't fault anybody for what they say, but I just feel it's an it's a disservice to mention five and you know, but no, you know what? Helping the way I say it. It's, it's helping people live a better life than even more so than playing in the NHL. You, uh, in you, the
2: great, some, some great connections you've made along the way. And, and you were also involved in the, uh, in the Kevin Porter story. And that's a recently re- uh, released relentless, uh, the Kevin Porter story. It's a, it's a documentary that came out about a guy who's 43 years old and, uh, trying to make it as a pro. Tell us about Kevin Porter and his
0: story. So I met Kevin over social media and I just saw this guy that was a, it's a, that had such a passion to play hockey and, and then when we started talking, he would come out with my prospects. And you know I, I call him a hero because you know being a fireman and a paramedic and doing what he does is to me you know just saves lives and that's big for me. So the hockey part, I ra- right away realized where he lacked. And when you watch the documentary, you know, um, you call it an intervention, but I just said to him, you are doing so many good things. You need to start giving this to kids who need your help. Because as you and I both know, you know, in our society today with mental health, with uh, all these things that these young people are going through, Kevin Porter could change so many lives. So that's what my purpose was, you know, after seeing that, he, he listen, he could skate, he could shoot. But he didn't have the hockey sense to play at the NHL level or the American League level. I just didn't see it happening. Now, some people would tell him, oh, you're going to get there, keep working. You know, one thing I know is what it takes mentally to get to those levels. So, you know, just nothing against Kevin. He didn't get the reps. He didn't get the education as we all did, who made it. And that wasn't going to come at 42 years old when he started this journey. So love the guy loves, you know, I, I don't know where he gets all the energy to, do what he does because he does more than I said this on the podcast. I never played with a guy who worked harder than him, but he lacks in the, in the, you know, the hockey sense and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, he wasn't, I don't think he was too happy with me when I had the intervention with him. And, uh, but all is good, he's still a good man and we still talk.
2: So there's, there's, uh, there's, we're just talking about now, uh, about some of the stuff that's going on in the NHL today. Uh, I, I know that, um, uh, Evander Kane just recently admitted to uh, having a a gambling problem. Uh, Then there was a sexual assault, domestic violence, allegations against him now. What course uh, would you want to take or what kind of advice would you want to give to a guy who's who's, uh,
0: obviously got some outside off-ice issues? So I do a PowerPoint called Career Killers, and it's my life, and it tells you how quickly you can screw your life up. So, in that has obviously all my addictions. It has other people who have ruined their lives. You know, the amount of pro athletes who have gone bankrupt, like myself, by living the wrong way and doing the wrong things. And, you know, there's not a lot you can say to a man who already knows. It's back to you and I, Joe. We knew what we were doing when we picked up the bottle of drugs but it's your choice to say that's it I surrender and it's no different for Evander mm-hmm. he's got to surrender to his addictions and his demons and until he does that the the trouble's going to follow him and that's just the way it is and you you know anybody who knows addiction and knows that lifestyle until you completely surrender and clean it up you're going to you're going to be followed by you know the 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 problem ch- trail so the advice i would um, give him another, would be, yeah. yeah sorry you know, a saying that I love from AA: "If nothing changes, nothing changes." You know, they're saying right. no more, right?
2: Right, and uh, yeah, the surrender is the uh, is the first step, and then uh, and then it's you know, the rest is like getting the ego ego out of the way so that uh, something else can take place. Uh, no. Jonathan Drewen recently explained why he had to leave the Canadians and uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, what are your thoughts on his revelations?
0: So I know Jonathan. He went to our school, actually our private school here in Toronto when he was a young fella. And um, you know, when I when I heard that, because I I wondered what happened to him why he just disappeared. And that that's a tough one. You know, I deal with that a lot today. I actually had a call before our podcast today about a young boy that's struggling with mental health and high-end hockey player and, you know, we, we, what do you say to Jonathan Druin? You know, what, what steps are we going to take to keep you at peace, to keep the anxiety down? And as we're finding out through, you know, science and, and, and there's things that people can do to work with this, you know, meditating. I can go through a whole bunch, but I won't say today, but You know, what I do, I meditate every day, and what that does is calm everything down when I start getting anxious or, you know, getting a little, you know, fuzzy-wuzzy, if you will. There's things that you got to, you know, my job today is to make sure Jim Thompson is healthy, healthy, um, uh, feels good. You know, I still have issues. I still have issues, like I said, Mm -hmm. from, you know, my trauma and from all the things that I did, but... There are steps that Jonathan drew in which he's getting professional help with just to monitor and balance his day out, which, you know, listening to him made me, you know, antsy just because he was so, you know, so anxious with what was going on in his life and he couldn't control it. So sounds to me like he's got it under control. But for all the people out there, Joe, there are there are things that you do now and science has shown us that we can deal with these issues.
2: If you, if you're wondering there, if if you're thinking there might be a problem, there probably is, you know. Like, and, and and the solution, of course, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. There there is a solution out there, but you have to, you know, encompass all that, and of course, reach out, ask for help. We can't yeah. we can't get well, you know. We're not going to fix ourselves with the same brain that created the illness, right? We have to get out of ourselves, no. and and and, and uh, we have to we have to reach out and ask for help. So. Uh, Okay, I'm going to switch gears now and talk about uh, about today. What's happening out there today? And the, well, in, in this part of the neck of the woods, we're we're off often talking about the Maple Leafs, right? So, um, so the Leafs said goodbye to, to Zach Hyman, uh, Zach Bogosian, and Freddie Anderson are gone as well. They brought in Nick Ritchie, Peter Mrazek. Uh, are they better?
0: Yes, they are, and I'm. You know, I I say this total respect to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I stopped cheering for them when my mighty Oilers came. I'll never forget it came into Maple Leaf Gardens. And I thought the Oilers were going to beat them 10-2. And this was when the Leafs weren't very good in the 80s. And they laid a beating on the Oilers. I think they won the game 8-2. And then uh, Bob McGill who was a very brave man, I believe, fought some ankle three times in the game and did good in all the fights. So I was just, a, I just was like these Leafs. So I've never been a fan, even though I love make believe Gardens and all that. So I think the Leafs have a great shot this year at winning the Stanley Cup. I believe that. I believe, like the Oilers of the past, you need to learn how to lose to learn how to win. And the fact that there's so much skill and, you know, goaltending I think has improved. I think their defensive game is going to be improved. You know, Sheldon keeps a hell of a coach. Um, you know, uh, Dubas is a very bright guy. And I say this, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be cheering for them, but I think they have a great shot at the cup this year because they got enough in the tank. So I think the changes they made, Joe, are very good changes.
2: Nice to see John Tavares back. And then he's okay. He scored in the preseason opener against the Habs. Um, you know, watching that series last year, I mean, there's there's been a lot. Of, I I really thought the Leafs were going a long way last year. I really did. I thought they had the, had the makings of you know all, everything they needed to go a long way. And when Tavares g- took that hit from Corey Perry, it just changed everything. You know, are you of the same belief that that's that's what turned the series around? That's what changed everything, and that's what caused them to lose.
0: Listen, your your heartbeat is gone. Like he is the heartbeat of that hockey team. It's, it's, he's a quiet leader that everybody follows. It's like Gretzky was a quiet leader that we all followed. And, you know, you remember from the Olympics when Gretzky hurt his back and missed 15 games, you're, you're, you're dealing with such a big part out of that dressing room. And that was to me, same thing. It was when he went down, I said, "Uh oh, this is big trouble.
2: What uh, so? Okay, what's about Your Oilers, uh, Connor McDavid and, and company getting swept by the Jets. What happened there? Uh, really, and, and is 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 Dak going to make a difference for them? And, and what's what's going to be the difference between this year and last year for them?
0: So, same sort of thing. You got to learn how to lose to you got to lose to learn how to win, and um, I believe that with the firepower they got there. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, we always talk about goaltending. And I'm, and I'm just telling you this, When you, what happened with the Jets, I believe uh, Halibut outplayed the Oilers goalies. And, you know, Mike Smith, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, there's two games there. The Oilers should have won it, could have won a different uh, – things could have been different, but they weren't. So I look at the best player in the world and maybe the second or third best player in, in Dreisaitl. That they have so much there to work with, and they're going to have a B in their bonnet because they've been embarrassed too. So the Leafs and the Oilers are going to be very dangerous teams because they got enough to to score and win hockey games. And you know, if they get the goaltending and the defense are what they should be, I, I gotta I gotta say the Oilers are my favorite to win the cup. Like they're my favorite to actually win the cup, and I I love the Oilers, but I think that with McDavid and everything there, Joe, they they have enough to do it.
2: So you think Mike Smith, even though he's forty something, is uh, is going to be the guy to get
0: it done? Look at him; he's a fighter. Like he 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 fights in the net. He's he's, you know, he's the guy that you know, a little Yaromoryag or whatever. Is he the guy? If he has enough playing in front of him, you know, again, you know, he's at a point where he has to make it happen. So, you know, I I like him because I like his fight. I like the fact that they all believe in him. Why is he still there? They believe in him, right? So I believe he's got enough.
2: Um, The Habs uh, going to the Stanley Cup final was a complete shock to everybody. And, and, uh, you know, they lose Corey Perry. Uh, Carey Price is injured. We'll see how he is when he comes back. Shea Weber's gone for the season. Any chance that they can repeat what they accomplished last year?
0: Drewin's back, Um, you know. Uh, they got, they got, they got lots there with Suzuki and Caulfield, and they they got lots there. Do I think that with that tough Eastern Division that they're gonna do what they did? I don't, because you know the Islanders, all those teams are so tough now. Washington's gonna be tough, like they're built, and every night is a battle. So I don't think the Montreal have the same success as they did, and I don't think they'll repeat what they did. Okay, and so I didn't, uh, Jets. I didn't, I didn't even mention Tampa Bay, right? Or Florida, no, right? No, no, like, right? Right, right, yeah, right. So, so I it's a, it's, a, it's going to
2: be really tough. To, it's a tough, tough division. I like the All-Canadian Division because it gave all those Canadian teams a, a shot, right? Um, yeah. Jets They Jets are in the, probably the weakest of the divisions that are, you know, the, now that they're back to the old alignment. They, they probably got the best sh- shot in terms of teams they've got to get past. They do have Connor Hellbuck. They got lots of firepower. Do you see a decline? Do you see uh, the Jets being better this year?
0: Um, it's a tough one. You know, Paul Maurice is is he's a hell of a coach. Um, Halibut's a hell of a goalie, and that's where you start. And I I'm going to say the Jets will be a tough team. You know, at one point, you know this when Buffalo was there, they were a favorite to win the Stanley Cup. So. Um, you know, it, this is it. They, they got to figure it out now as Wheeler and some of these players are getting a little long in the tooth, and Kyle Connor's a heck of a hockey player. So I think the Jets will still be tough, but do I see a long playoff run? I really don't.
2: Right. Okay, so your Flames and Senators, uh, the last two Canadian teams we'll talk about, uh, again, Canucks, seems like a uh, rebuild for maybe all three of those teams. Any chance of, of those uh, making some noise?
0: Calgary Flames just because the setter's the coach. You got, you got to you know, he's got the whole year now. You saw what he did in LA. Uh, he took a group that was an eighth place finisher, won the Stanley cup. So I have to believe they're going to be clawing their way and possibly get a playoff spot. I still think Ottawa's too young and I'm just not a fan of what Vancouver's doing out there. I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see what they're doing. So, Right now out of those yeah. 3 I got to I got to give Calgary the edge that they, you know, because of their coaching staff and the identity of that hockey team they could be find their way in the playoffs.
2: Okay, Aurora Tigers, the junior club you purchased about 7 years back. Uh, tell us about the how yeah. Tigers are looking heading into the
0: season. Young, fast, skilled, a different approach and in Junior A, Joe it's like this. If you spend a lot of money and get, you know, six or seven OHL guys to come after their OHL careers, which we did one year and won the conference, and you're you're gonna have a lot of success. If you go young, two years ago we won seven games, we went local and young. This year we've we've made it a we've gone the fast route with skill. We got good goaltending. So our goal is to get into the playoffs and as you you know as i said you just got to get in and then you can figure it out from there and see what happens but a young team we're going to struggle against some of the bigger older teams um you know until we get the experience but i'm excited about it just with the skill you know the there's a lot of players on my hockey team that are going to get scholarships to go away and hopefully play pro so that that excites me
2: and that's the end game anyway isn't it it's that's your,
0: that's it your end
2: game right there
0: yeah. My wife and I do it. We wanna we wanna see kids get scholarships. And then when they can leave our team and, and go off to school and play four more years, they they're set up for life, right? They become great fathers, great businessmen, you know, apart from hockey. So that that's a major thing for us.
2: Well, Jim, all those things you just described, that's what you become. And we wanna thank you for being on the show today. Uh, as a guest on Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, we have some great Italian threads for you from classic imports. Go see Jeff, and he'll look you up and uh, really, uh, thank, thank you for you. being on the show. And yeah, yeah, man. And uh, remember we're all in it together.
0: Yes, we are, Joe. Thanks for having me. It means a lot to be on your show. Believe me.
2: Pleasure is absolutely mine. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Canadian rocker, Tommy gun, and you've got more Joe Tilly sports coming up. Slow play, it's a slippery slope. First you go looking for that lost ball, and then everything goes sideways. There are a lot of golfers on the course. Make certain of your point of entry, look quickly, and move on. Remember, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Find anything, Bob? Not yet. Hi, Joe Tilly here from Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show. Did you know that in 1965, Canada's George Chevalo was robbed of the WBA Heavyweight Championship of the World? That's right, Chevalo clearly and soundly beat Ernie Terrell for the title at Maple Leaf Gardens, but was denied the championship by a mob-backed decision. The crown should have belonged to George. But now we're trying to get George, who just turned 84 and is suffering from dementia, that well-deserved belt how can we make this possible simple head over to wbaboxing.com and file your complaint the more we complain the more likely it will be that we force a commission to do something about it let's do it folks guests on joe tilly sports receive a gift certificate from classica imports top of the line imported men's clothing check out the classica essential collection now go to shopclassica.com addiction rehab toronto toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center saving lives reuniting families the only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox treatment sober living and lifetime aftercare all in one place our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario Tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing, year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com okay now my Cosa swiss pick of the week last week i went to mohawk for tuesday night's fourth race i went with the nine horse homie joe for obvious reasons Homie Joe was a threatening third as they headed for home, but it was a 5-4, stolen art, 10-1 long shot, stealing this one for owner-trainer Luke Lawyer, holding off legal better. Homie Joe slid back in the seventh spot. The 5-2 exact return, $167.90 on a $2 ticket. This week, we're going to Friday night at Mohawk for the OSS Grassroots Semifinals. I'm taking Trevor Henry and PL Opportunity to make the most of it his opportunity coming off a nice win over tealicious last time out in the rain Uh, for all the racing updates visit costa tv on instagram twitter and facebook go to hpibet.com for your wagering options it was super saturday at mohawk canada's richest night of harness racing you win some you lose some as it turns out I nailed the big race, the Mohawk Million for two-year-old Trotters. As we told you, it was Venerable, the super filly, with David Miller driving for trainer Rick Norman. Venerable took the early lead, would never relinquish, relinquish that lead, holding up a hard-charging, duly resolved at the wire. Venerable improves to a perfect 8-0 and o career. In the $884,000 Metro pace, it was Monty Mickey with a blistering finish to overtake Wearing My Six Shooter. Blah, blah, blah. Well, he didn't fare so well, but uh, we love Ken's horse anyway. My pick in the She's a Great Lady uh, stakes was Prohibition Legal, who was second to Nikki Hill. Well, bring on the Yankees. The series will pretty much determine the wild card positions. The Bronx Bombers are in town to face the Blue Jays for three games as the final week of the series wraps up. The Jays were able to get on in Minnesota with a split in their four-game set. Uh, Alec Manoa. The rookie, who pitches like a wily veteran, got out of a jam in the first inning. The kid improves to 8-2 and two on the year. Where would the Bluebirds be without this kid? Normally, he gets some rookie of the year consideration, but Randy Rosarina has that title pretty much wrapped up. It's nice to have some depth at key positions. Nick Arbuckle was out with a sore hamstring, so McLeod Bethel-Thompson got the call at quarterback for the Argos on the weekend against the visiting Montreal Alouettes. And MBT was up for the challenge. Lovely throw for Chandler Worthy. 45-yard bomb with nine ticks left in the half. Bethel Thompson had a couple TD passes as the Boatman outlasted the Owls 30-27. to They are tied for first in the East with Hamilton. The tie Cats rolled over the Red Blacks 24-7. Saskatchewan leads the league at 6-1. The Argos defense had a very good game. All right. Uh, time now to... Closer show possible closer show with a look at folks who make it possible these are friends trusted business associates and all-around great people I highly recommend them all a reminder that the show is now available on Spotify breaker radio public Google podcast and pocket cast as well as the Spanglish network and Zingo TV also like and subscribe to the show on YouTube thanks again to again to Jim Thompson for being on the show enjoyed this tremendously. Uh, thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when Mark Hebsher drops by. We'll see you then. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by... Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at BGIP.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905 686 Five, six, seven, eight. Brought to you by MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the needs of our clients in the private, public, and non-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies to help people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Toronto, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, our team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca to learn more. Make your next getaway a spectacular one at this luxury cottage on Rice Lake near Budely from Verona Real Estate Group. Perfect for a large or extended family retreat, an ideal location for any corporate morale-boosting getaway, employee bonding session, a week here, and you're set. A beautiful, spacious building for up to 10 guests featuring five bedrooms, three and a half baths, state-of-the-art kitchen facilities, and more. Enjoy swimming, excellent fishing options, just an hour and a half from Toronto. Book for any and all seasons. Fully winterized, ice fishing, cross-country ski trails, and downhill skiing available nearby. Book today by calling Amir at 647-657-6571 or email amir at veronarealestategroup.com. Oh God,